0: Well find please uh, in your um, worship guide at the end of the order of worship there's a, a rather long this time outline, the 12 steps for us all, step four introspection. And you will find also the insert that that step four inventory, it's a worksheet. If you're watching uh, from on television or via live stream, uh, the things that we see in the room are going to be on the screen for you, and there's even going to be a QR code in a few minutes for you to download the worksheet that everybody has here uh, in the room. But if you're in the room, uh, I hope you'll have that out and, uh, and follow me. I'm not, I'm not proud of it. I got your attention, didn't I when, I, when I said that? But I didn't want to take that COVID test. It was several months ago, and I had only felt a little bad, and my throat was just, a, my, my voice was just a little raspy. And, and that night at home, I, I asked Carrie, I said, is it, is it cold in here? She said, no, it's not cold in here. You may have a fever, and you, you need to take a COVID test, and I, I have one. I didn't want to take a COVID test, and that's what I said. I said I don't want to take a COVID test, sounding like the eight, eight-year-old version of me. And, but Carrie's awfully boss. I mean, she's very persuasive. <laughs> she's very per- beautifully persuasive, and so I, uh, I took that. I took that COVID test. She she uh, swabbed the the frontal lobe of my brain <laughs> via my nasal cavity. And a few, a few minutes later, two lines on the kit, on that test kit said that indeed I, I had COVID. Now, I didn't want to take a COVID test because I was afraid of what I might find out. I was afraid that I would find out something I didn't want to know, then I'd have to do something I didn't want to do. I thought if I test positive for COVID, I'll have to stay home. I didn't want to have to stay home because I thought, what will they do without me out there in the world? I was thinking of you. It was a selfless motivation. What will they do if I have to stay home? I didn't want to take the test because I might find out something I didn't want to know, and then I'd have to do something I didn't want to do. Reminds me of step four in the 12 steps for us all. Step four is a self-test. It's a moral inventory, as it's called. We're walking through the, the 12 steps for us all, the phrase, the 12 steps, and those 12 steps originated in the world of recovery. But they are rooted in the Bible and in the Jesus way of life, and so we're using them together as a program, a, a method of Christian discipleship. So today we are at step four. This is the week it gets real. This is the week you will decide whether you're just going to listen to a series of messages about the 12 steps or you are going to work the 12 steps. Let me say that again. This is the week it gets real. This is when you will decide whether you're just gonna come and listen to a series about the 12 steps or you're going to work the steps as a matter of Christian discipleship. In week one, we admitted We have this problem woven invisibly but powerfully into our DNA. The Bible calls it a sin nature. It is the overwhelming tendency to do the wrong thing. We admitted that we can't fix that problem on our own. Then week two, we chose hope. We said, there's one whose love and power are sufficient to rescue me and redeem me even from the pit. And then last week, we surrendered our wills. We say... We said, I don't want to be God anymore. I surrender my will, my decider, that place deep within me from which decisions come. I I surrender that part of me uh, to my creator and Lord. This week, we look inward and we look backward to try to figure out how we got to where we are. This week, we look inward and backward to try to know how did we end up here for Hope is stronger than memory, and God is more interested in our tomorrows than in our yesterdays, but we can't go forward until we go back. Hope is stronger than memory, and God is more interested in our tomorrows than in our yesterdays, but we can't go forward until we go back. Get your outline out, please, and follow me al- al- follow along. Again, it'll be on the screen, and I so appreciate our tech folks who make this possible for those folks who are watching by live stream and TV. AA, D- Alcoholic Anonymous' step four reads, "'We made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves.'" It's a moral inventory because there are indeed uh, character uh, issues, moral issues involved. But it's also called moral because it is an honest, a truthful inventory. And it is important to note that we are taking our own inventories, not each other's inventories. Our biblical principle for us all is this. My spiritual health depends on my honest self-assessment. And here are the guiding texts from the Bible for today. Let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord, Lamentations 3.40. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble, Proverbs 4.19. The truth will set you free. Jesus quoted in John 8, verse 32. By the way, it has been said that the truth will set you free, but first it will make you miserable. The truth will set you free. Hebrews 12.1, let us throw off everything that hinders, and like that doll that Miss Kristen talked about earlier, let's throw off those things that so easily entangle us. Now here are a few warnings about working step four. Number one, don't begin with step four. In step four, we're going to have to face some things uh, that we won't like, but we have prepared ourselves for this. We've, We've remembered that That we have a problem we can't solve. We have remembered that there is a God of love and power who can. We have surrendered our wills to Him. We have prepared to face uh, the hard things. But going to step four without preparing for it could could be devastating. Because some of us are going to have to face some really hard, painful, embarrassing realities. We want to do this Under the banner of God's love, wrapped, enveloped in the blanket, if you will, of God's grace. We don't want to do this too quickly. The steps build on each other. We don't want to go first to step forward. Number two, you can't do this hurriedly. This is not something you're going to go home and do over lunch. This is not something you're going to do while you're watching the Super Bowl. This is going to take some work, and it's going to take some time. Number three, you've got to write it down. Bill W., one of the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, said this in the big book, when we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them before us in black and white. And you can't destroy, your, you cannot destroy your list, by the way. If I were you, I'd hide it real good, but you can't destroy it. Because next week, we're going to share it with Somebody. I heard somebody moan when I said that. I've done this by the way. It is humbling. It is revealing. It is unsettling. But it's healthy. So you have that in your in your worship guide that worksheet that guide this is not official it didn't come from Alcoholics Anonymous headquarters, I I tried to put something together that would be a good guide for us all, not just people who are struggling with addictions. If you're watching from home, there's a QR code on your screen. Open your phone, uh, point it at that QR code, little pop-up will come up. Tap that pop-up, and you can download what people in the room have. And by the way, uh, most most of us are going to need a whole lot more lines than there are on this uh, worksheet. So this is a guide, get your legal pad or whatever. Maybe you do it on a keyboard, a laptop, or a computer, that's fine, but this is just a guide for us to to do some good, healthy introspection. Number four, if, if this walk down memory lane is fraught with danger, do not go alone. If there are dark rooms in your past, if there are frightening mem- memories that you have locked away, if there are traumatic events that you will have to face, don't go there alone. Now some of us have lived fairly charmed lives, blessed lives, and we don't have, and we all have regrets, we all have things we wish we could do differently, we all have disappointments and frustrations. But some of us have some really dark, painful, traumatic memories. Some of us will have to face abuse, maybe in our families. If you have some of those dark rooms where ghosts and skeletons live, you don't want to, you don't want to go into those dark rooms alone. I also, this morning, after our 805 service, a a young man who's in recovery said, you also want somebody with you to extend grace to you. When you look at those things, those things you you regret, the shame, the embarrassment, you want someone there. In in recovery, they call it a sponsor. We might call it a mentor or a, a good friend. It might be a professional. But you want somebody there in that dark room with you. If it is frightening, and if it is shameful, you want somebody to extend grace to say, this is not your identity. This was a bad choice, but it is not your identity. So if this trip down memory lane is fraught with danger, don't take that trip. Don't take that trip alone. Keep following on your handout. Step four is not about just listing our failures, it's about understanding the why behind our failures? Why is it we can't shake them? Why is it that these choices are recurring in our lives? Bill W., again, one of the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, wrote, we searched out the flaws in our makeup which caused our failure. We're going to look at our bad choices, our moral failures. We're going to look at the ways we've hurt people. We're going to look at the ways we have messed things up for sure. But we're not going to stop there. We're going to ask, why is it? What are the roots and the reasons behind my recurring moral failures? We're going to ask questions like, why is it that that I want to self-medicate? Why is it that I want to escape? And maybe your escape is not through a substance. Maybe it's through movies or chocolate, but why do I want to escape? Why do I want to cover up my hurt? Why is it that I'm drawn to bad relationships? Why am I like a magnet drawn to people who hurt me? Why do I make this choice over and over? We want to ask, why am I how I am? Next, some of us will need to, re- need to consider our family history. Now, some of us grew up in idyllic, ideal homes. Our parents were not perfect. Our siblings were not perfect. But all in all, we, we grew up pretty well, pretty happy. But there are some of us who will have to admit that, that some of our moral failures, some of our recurring hurts are rooted in, not excused by, but rooted in, Some of our experiences in the formative years of our lives. When we were young, we watched, some of us watched parents treat each other badly. Some of us grew up in homes that were dysfunctional dysfunctional, and nobody knew it. We looked like from the outside, like this wonderful happy family, but inside there was hurt and anger. And and then there were some, certainly the, the, the odds are that there are a number of people who are hearing me right now, whether in this room or by live stream or TV, who are abused physically, emotionally, verbally, even sexually, in your home. So we're going to have to look at our families and ask, what is it about my family that makes me who I am? Now remember, we're not taking our parents' inventories. This is not a critique of our parents' parenting. This is not a critique of our siblings' siblinging. This is our own inventory. This is how did I respond? How did I react to those things that are unfortunate about the formative years of my life? We have to ask, some of us, are, about our families. Next, resentment is a big deal in the fourth step of recovery. And I, I need to just get something off my chest. I have a resentment. This is Super Bowl day, of course, and um, the Dallas Cowboys are not in the Super Bowl, and I'm quite all right with that, because I don't like the Dallas Cowboys. I've been mad for 34 years now at Jerry Jones. In 1989, the Dallas Cowboys were coached by my favorite NFL coach ever, Tom Landry, and when Jerry Jones bought the Dallas Cowboys, he fired Tom Landry, and I got mad, and I've been mad for half my life over, over that. And by the way, I'm not giving up that resentment. I'm just going to hang on to it. I kind of enjoy it. Anybody, anybody else harboring a resentment? Maybe one a little more serious than my resentment against Jerry Jones? Resentment is a big deal in the 12 steps. Bill W. again on your outline, resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else for from it stem all forms of spiritual disease, a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. And that's true whether you are, an, uh, you are addicted to some substance or to some compulsive behavior or not. So this is the work, he said, that provided healing. It's on your outline. Putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done, we resolutely looked for our own mistakes. Though a situation had not been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Where were we to blame? The inventory was ours, not the other person's. We could spend more time than we have here on resentments, but if you're going to work the, these steps as, as a matter of Christian uh, discipleship, then please pay attention to those, those resentments. Next, step four is not about just beating ourselves up. I want to be real clear here. Looking inward and looking backward is not just about shaming ourselves. It's not about beating ourselves up. It's not about wallowing in our shame. It's not about uh, recycling our regrets. I've always heard that birds will throw themselves into their reflection in glass. That when they see their reflection, they will throw themselves sometimes violently into that glass over and over, often until they killed themselves. I'd always heard that. And then last spring, we were down at the Vision, a wonderful retreat center, our staff retreat. Uh, We uh, were away for two nights. and. We were down at the Vision Retreat Center, the first breakfast, John Lemons, our young adult minister, uh, came to breakfast, and uh, he said he had been awakened that morning by the sound of thuds right. against his window. The rest of us were already up praying, John was still asleep, and he said he was awakened by, <laughs> by the thuds of the, uh, against his window. And he brought a video there was a cardinal just outside his window. There was a, a balcony that ran alongside his window. The cardinal would perch over here on the, the wrought iron railing and was throwing itself violently against that window. It would fall, get up and fly back to the, the, the railing of that wrought iron gate or fence there. And, And throw itself violently against that window. That is not step four. Step four is not seeing our reflection and then recoiling in shame and beating ourselves up. It's not not about that. This is not about beating ourselves up. It's not about wallowing in our shame. It's not about recycling our regrets. But it is about owning what we need to own. So if we work step four well, we will not beat ourselves up, but we will own what we need to own. You and I are dangerously, notoriously adept at rationalizing and justifying our moral failures we are dangerously and powerfully adept at rationalizing at justifying our own failures we can explain away just about anything so if we're going to work this step right then we're going to have to declare up front when i when I come face to face with a moral failure, a way I've hurt someone, a way I've messed up, I will, not, I will not explain it away. I will not blame my parents or anybody else. I will not blame society. I will not blame my circumstances. And I will not declare, I'm only human. What a lame excuse. We will not say, I'm just a human. We will rather, in the words of Jeremiah 3.13, we will acknowledge our guilt. We're not going to beat ourselves up, but we are going to acknowledge our guilt and to own what we need to own. There was a lady. I called her Miss Ida that lived next to the church building in Mount Washington, Kentucky. Miss Ida lived in a small apartment in the back of a store. She didn't run the store, but they had rented it out to her. And it was just a few yards from the entrance to my office at First Baptist Church of Mount Washington. And So I'd go visit Miss Ida to try to be a good neighbor, but I went often because frankly She was such a fascinating lady. She had come to Mount Washington in central Kentucky from eastern Kentucky, from the Appalachian Mountains. She had come from a family of moonshiners. Now, if you've seen the TV show about moonshiners, they're kind of clever and charming, and, you know, they might get in a little trouble. But that's not the case. At least it was not the case in Miss Ida's family. Hers was a family of moonshiners, and it was a violent life. There had been more killings in Miss Ida's family than I could keep up with. Her, her story, her life story, would have been a fascinating movie, except it would have seemed probably too far-fetched to be believable. As best I could tell from my visits with Miss Ida, she had one remaining son named Paul who was in prison. One day, there was a young man out in Miss Ida's little bitty yard, and I went over to introduce myself, and the young man introduced himself as Paul. Paul explained, his, told me his story, he said, uh, well, he, he was a, he's a believer, he's a follower of Jesus, he was not going to church, he had been disappointed by church. and..." Although this was a long time ago, he never did go to church that I knew, but he had gotten his life turned around in, in prison. And what Paul said to me was so uh, meaningful to me that I hurried the few yards into my office and I wrote his words down, and I think you have them on your outline almost word for word. I was in prison for 27 years, all total, for violent crimes. Four of my brothers were shot to death, and my father was shot to death when I was a boy. I've abused alcohol and drugs. I'm a recovering alcoholic now. It finally dawned on me, after 27 years in prison, that I was the problem. It wasn't my world or my past, it was Paul. Some would have said that Paul's violent crimes were inevitable. But Paul finally chose not to play the role of victim. Therefore, Paul's yesterdays no longer define his tomorrows. Paul quit blaming the world and society and his family and recognized the problem was Paul, and therefore his yesterdays do not define his tomorrows. If you will work the fourth step, as a matter of Christian discipleship, you will face things that will be difficult to face. Let's not beat ourselves up, but let's own what we need to own. And then, that wonderful line from my big fat Greek wedding can be true of us. Do not let your past dictate who you are, but let it be part of who you will become. Do not let your past dictate who you are but let it be part of who you will become. You don't have to let your past dictate who you are, but you have an opportunity to let it be part of who you will become. And this week you will decide whether you're gonna come and listen to a series of messages or you're going to look inward and backward And let God guide your searching and become who you can become.